Good evening, everybody, and uh, welcome. I want to spend the few minutes we have uh, tonight uh, talking about a topic that's a perennial, uh, perennial topic of discussion, of debate, of, uh, of jokes, of criticisms, uh, but to really delve into uh, what the Makar would have to say about it, uh, which is Chomras. Uh, uh, what do we define just to define our terms uh, before we start? Uh, you know, sometimes perhaps maybe there's a halacha that I'm just not familiar with. Okay, that doesn't make it a chumrah. That makes it a halacha I'm not familiar with. Uh, but very often uh, there are cases where halachically one would certainly have the right to be makeable about something. Um, one would be allowed to eat something or not have to do some, uh, some extra um, hajjim practice. Uh, but nonetheless, there are those who are more machmir than the strict halacha would require of them. And uh, what I want to try to tackle in the 50 minutes we have allotted to us, uh, 48 minutes left, uh, tonight is uh, three questions. Number one, uh, is there any good reason for anyone to be machmir more than the halacha absolutely requires of them? Number two, is there a good reason not to be machmir more than what is absolutely required to? Um, and number three, uh, given that, regardless of, uh, of what I think or uh, what, I, uh, what I proved to you tonight, uh, there will always, always be those who are more machmir and those who are more mekel, um, how are we supposed to get along? Uh, so let's start with uh, the Makoros. Um, question one. Is it legitimate to be machmir? And if so, why? After all, uh, we have the halacha. Um, Hashem gave us the Torah. He knew what he was doing. Um, and he wrote, you have to do this. And he didn't write that you have to do that. So why would anyone want legitimately to do more than absolutely required of them? I mean, there are illegitimate reasons. Some of them want to show up to their neighbor. Uh, but what is there, and if so, what is a legitimate reason for being machmir, for those who take upon themselves chumras. And as a matter of fact, if we uh, look in the Makaros, we find that there are uh, very, very uh, explicit Makarot about being more machmir than halakhically required. And we'll try to figure out, you know, what might be a legitimate reason for that. So if we start with uh, Makar number one, we won't read all of these inside, there's a lot of uh, Makarot here. Um, I underlined a few uh, money phrases here, uh, but we all know the famous first Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, Moshe Kibbal Torah Sinai, in the Surah, etc., etc. The Anshi Knesset Gedola said three things: Heaven with Tunim Badin, the Amidu Tomidu Harbe, the Asusiyak Torah. Make a fence around the Torah. One reason someone might want to be Maher is to make that proverbial fence around the Torah. There are other similar phrases found in Chazal, like Schor, Schor. We tell the Nazar, who has vowed not to eat grapes or drink wine, go far away and encircle, make a wide circle around the vineyard to avoid temptation. One reason someone might want to be machran themselves is segla Torah fence around the Torah to avoid temptation, to avoid falling into Avera. That is probably not the main reason we see people, people being machmir uh, nowadays in our lives, right? When people say, I'm machmir, this, this kashrut or that kashrut, it's not because they think that, oh, if they eat 
to run Kashos, they will then end up, you know, uh, working on Shabbos or, uh, you know, eating, eating uh, bacon, etc. Uh, why would someone say, no, I only eat this Mahadrin Kashros? If someone says, I'm Machmer, I have a more Mahudr Schach for my Sukkah, I have all kinds of Chumras, it's not because if they use the other Schach for their Sukkah, they will end up falling into a life of sin. Why are they Machmer? So let's look for a moment at uh, Makar 2. Uh, Makar 2 is a, is a whole discussion in the Gemara, Masechet Shabbos, about a halachic issue that is not among the weightiest halachic issues uh, discussed in Shas, let's say, which is which order to put on your shoes, the left first or the right first. Um, and there's a whole discussion here, we won't read the whole discussion, but Rabbi Yochanan says you should put on your left shoe first because fill and go on the left arm, therefore the left is better, and there's a right that says put on your right shoe first because in halacha we always do the right uh, first as a general rule, and Rav Yosef says in the second line, Hashtag Tanya Hachi, Rav Yochan Hachi, the Avid Hachi, Avid Hachi, Avad. The strict halacha, as we would expect, you know, sometimes we have Suffolk, the right of the Chumrah, you know, if we're not sure about some Isur, the right of it's very, very Chumor, we have to be very Machmir, you know, Suffolk, the Rabban of the Kula, if we're not sure about something which is merely the Rabban of Mormeko, here, if we're not sure what order to put our shoes on, you know, we're not talking about a uh, very serious transgression if you put your shoes in the wrong order. So what is what Yosef Paskin, very logically, says either way you put on your shoes is fine. Some people say the left first, some people say the right first. So whatever you do, you can't go wrong. And the halacha is that any way a Jew puts on their shoes is acceptable in the eyes of Hashem. But then we have an interesting conclusion. In the third line of Makar 2, Amr of Nachar Yitzhak, Yireh Shemayim, Someone with a special need of Yerushalayim, fear of heaven, is Yotze both opinions. Meaning is Machmir, just in case this opinion is right, just in case that opinion is right, is Machmir like the more Machmir of all the opinions. Of course, Umanu, who is this? Marbeid Rabbana. There is one Amora Marbeid Rabbana who had such Yerushalayim, he wanted to make sure he did not do anything wrong even in terms of the order of putting on his shoes. So he fulfilled both opinions. Now, obviously, he had to be a little clever and not just reach Shemayim because he had to figure out how to put on his left shoe first and his right shoe first. But many of us might be familiar with his solution because it's quoted in the Shofanar. Hey, the other thing where it says, no problem, put on his right shoe first. And he tied his left shoe first, which is very clever because putting on the right shoe is just a generic doing the right first. Well, since the left shoe first comes from Philip, and Philip is something you tie, so if he ties the left shoe first, he's guilty of both opinions. He was very clever, and he was guilty of both opinions. What do we see from this Makar? We see that there's no obligation to be mafit in how you put on your shoes. That's not the basic obligatory halakha. But there's a midah of Yerushalayim. There is an Indian of having such fear of heaven that you want to be absolutely sure that what you're doing is correct according to all the opinions. In which case, he came up with this clever order of putting on his shoes. And that is really where a lot of the chumras nowadays come from. You know, someone says, you know, I... Someone says, right? this hashkacha, not that hashkacha. Why? Because sometimes this hashkacha takes into account all the opinions, even the ones we don't possibly like, and makes sure the food is kosher according to all the opinions. While the other Ashkacha just follows the opinion 
That is the mainstream halachic opinion that the halacha paskin, based on majority or other uh, principles of uh, jurisprudence. And is that, you know, we were asked, someone says, no, I want to make sure that I'm guilty of all the opinions. Is that shtos or is that, you know, a value? So the Gemara tells us here that it's a value. That that it says in the Gemara that someone who wants to make sure that their behavior accords with all the opinions, even the most mocker opinion, even both contradictory opinions, is considered an expression of Yerushalayim and is uh, valuable. It's not obligatory. After all, we're Yosef, wasn't mocked at how he put his shoes on, and he was certainly holier than we are, but it is an expression of Yerushalayim. And we have a similar idea in Gemara number three. Uh, darshaning a pasuk of Yechezkel. Yechezkel, no, at a certain point, tells Hashem about his very spiritual accomplishments, right? It says, Hashem lo'kimini nafshi lo'metumam, ve'elo treifu lo'achalti minu rai ve'ata, lo'bob pibzar v'pigol, etc. What did Yechezkel uh, mean by this, in this pasuk, that he says, I didn't eat treif meat. Right? Igmar says that seems to be a little too pasha. Obviously, you know, Yechezkel and Avi wrote one of the 24 books of Tanakh, didn't eat treif meat. Uh, it's a lot of a lot of people who are not very firm at all walking the street, they also don't eat treif meat. Yechezkel and Avi probably did something more than that. So in the underlying part of the three, it says, Shalo achalti mi behema shahor bachacham. I never ate an animal that the rabbi had to paskin about. If you have a slaughterhouse, often you get shilas in the slaughterhouse. Right? We're not sure, was this animal kosher or was this animal not kosher? So they bring it to the Rav of the slaughterhouse, and he has to make a judgment call, is this kosher or not kosher? And what do we see here? Yechezkel says, even if the rabbi, if the rabbi paskin treif, obviously he didn't eat it. No one ate it. But even if the rabbi paskin kosher, still, maybe he was right, maybe he was wrong. Yeret Shemayim. Even if the rabbi paskin kosher, it's not obvious that it's kosher. There are two possibilities. It was a judgment call, and maybe his judgment call was wrong, just to be on the safe side, he did not eat from this, uh, from, from, from this animal. And this is actually one of the things that comes up a lot in modern-day kashras, right? There are, uh, I guess, one of the differences between some of the mahadrin hechsherim on meat and chicken and the non-mahadrin hechsherim is exactly this point. What if a shayla comes up in the slaughterhouse if the rabbi pastin's trait? So it's trait, and it doesn't get any hechsher. And the rabbi pastin's kosher. So some hefshirim say, well, if the rabbi had to paskin kosher, it doesn't get our mahadrin hefshir, because there are those who want to be mahar and not eat anything that was questionable, even if the answer to the question is water. And then it gets a different level of kashrus. And if one were to ask, so, okay, those who don't want to eat the chickens that they have to ask the rabbi about, but the rabbi said kosher, why wouldn't they eat the chicken? Is that a shtus, or is that something that has, uh, that has a valid basis? So the Gemara is pretty clear that it has a valid basis, that someone who wants to be so careful not to eat anything there's a question about, or, or two, not to eat anything that's subject to a machlokis, there's another opinion that would be more machmer about, is considered uh, praiseworthy. That, in fact, chorot are considered praiseworthy uh, when done based on being extra careful about the halacha. There's another type of chumrah we find as well, in the uh, Gemara number four, it's an interesting Mishnah. Ochlin Mishotan Arayfos Lasaka. Okay, in the Anadiyoma, uh, in the back of this room, uh, there are cups of water, and there's uh, there seems to be some sort of cold or hot water machine or something, 
and, uh, and people drink water outside the sukkah, and it's too cold now. Why? Because if they had, you know, uh, if they had full meals back there, we wouldn't be eating them, but you can have a snack outside the sukkah. Nonetheless, once they brought Rabbi Yochim and Zakai the children to taste, to see if it, you know, needed more spices, if it uh, met his uh, taste. And once, in a different story, they brought Rabbi Yochim two dates and a cup of water. And they said, bring it to the sukkah, I'll go to the sukkah, I'll eat it there. Okay, on the other hand, Rabbi had an opposite story. And once they brought him less than a kibetza, less than an egg size of bread, and he ate it, he did not bench afterwards, which was his opinion. We actually passed him, he would bench after a kazayat. Um, and he didn't wash his heel of Yudayim, instead held it with a napkin, because it was so small. And he ate it outside the sukkah. Because it was a mere snack, you know, a small piece of bread, smaller than, a, than an egg, is clearly a snack. Says the Gemara, Masa, they start, hold on a second. First, the Mishnah says you can snack outside the sukkah. Then it says, Rabbi Yochanan and Zakein, Rabbi Gamil wouldn't snack outside the sukkah. It's missing a little transition. This is what it means to say in Balahachra Lazmo. If someone wants to be Machmir, Machmir, he can be Machmir. But let the Mishum Yorba, and it's not considered arrogant, Mitsunami, etc. Meaning, you can eat a snack outside the sukkah, but if someone wants to be machmir, it's a good thing to be machmir. It's not arrogance to be machmir. It's not showing off. It's just loving mitzvahs to be machmir. Right? And that's now, Rabbi Tzadok, but not machmir. That wasn't, you know, the avoda that he was in- interested in that was appropriate for him at that time. But Rabbi Yochum and Zaka and Rabbi Gabriel were machmir. Why were they machmir? Not because there is some opinion that you have to eat a snack in the sukkah. There is no opinion you have to eat a snack in the sukkah. 100% of all halachic opinions agree that you can eat a snack outside the sukkah. Why are they machmer? They just wanted to do extra mitzvahs. The mitzvahs must eat a meal in the sukkah. Of course, if you also eat a snack in the sukkah, then you're doing the mitzvah of sukkah even more. Why not do extra mitzvah? And that's another source of chumrah, which has basis in Aramakoros. Just to do extra within the mitzvah. The Torah says, eat your meals in the sukkah, I'll also eat snacks in the sukkah, so I do the mitzvah of sukkah more than necessary. But why not maximize the mitzvah of sukkah? To maximize mitzvah is also a valid basis for chumrah. Now, what I uh, hope I have established in the first, uh, first quarter of this year is that there are... We, by the way, this is found in the Shulchan Aruch also. Says the Shulchan Aruch, you can eat a snack outside the mitzvah, outside the sukkah, but those who are machmer to not drink, eat anything, to not even drink water outside the sukkah, to have everything in the sukkah, that's praiseworthy. And there are some people who are machmer, and uh, even a sip of water go into the sukkah. What I hope we've established in the first part of this year is that there are a lot of people walking around this, this world, walking around our community, um, who are very master about things. Is it pointless, silly, uh, ridiculous to be master? Or is it a valuable exercise in Yerat Shemayim Avodah Hashem? I think the Makorot are very clear that one who is master because of Dear Yerat Shemayim or because of their love for mitzvot is considered praiseworthy and is emulating not all of our Chachamin, because Rabbi Tzadok ate the snack outside the second, Rabbi Yosef tied his shoes just whichever came to hand first, but is emulating many of our 
Chachamim, uh, who were Machmir, either to stay away from temptation in Avera, or more commonly, to be Yotze all the Shitos, to do something which is mutter or to all the opinions, or to avoid any halachic question whatsoever, or just to be extra enthusiastic and go the extra mile in performing mitzvos, like Rabbi Yochum and Zakai and Rabbi Yomil did regarding the mitzvah of Sukkah. If so, especially since one of the sources in the Gemara that says it's a good thing to be machmer, don't think it's arrogant. No, it's not arrogant. It's good to be machmer, is about Sukkah. It would then surprise us that the uh, Shulchanara says in Bukkah number 5, quoting that go of my money yod, kalapater min asukkah ve'in yotzei mishan, anyone who's exempt from the Sukkah but stays in the Sukkah nonetheless. Um, I guess give me an example of some case where you'd be a circumstance where you'd be exempt from sukkah. Raining. Raining, for example, if it rains, and okay, this year, Baruch Hashem, at least in the parts of the Earth's Israel where I've been, it hardly rained at all um, during, uh, during Sukkot. If you had nice, strong sach, the uh, water never even got into your sukkah. Um, but I grew up in New York, where it was very different. Um, but uh, if it rains, and you stay in the sukkah anyway, you get no reward for that in Shemayim. It is merely, if you'll excuse my language, from the Greek, idiocy, right? Okay, maybe idiocy is a little harsh, even though that's the Greek root word it comes from. Let's say foolishness. It is foolish to be mafer in the sukkah when not necessary. And this confused all of the mafarshim. If it's good to be machmir more than necessary, then why does the Shofanar say it is foolish to be machmir more than necessary? If it's good specifically in the midst of sukkah to be machmir more than necessary, eat your snacks in the sukkah, the Shofanar says great. Uh, another great case. Uh, does anyone, can anyone identify anyone in this room who might be exempt from the midst of sukkah? Right? Maybe half the people, right? And what if a woman is mocked to eat in the sukkah nonetheless? Is that foolishness or is that from kite? We all know that, I mean, you know, what we've seen growing up is that when women eat in the sukkah, that's great, right? Oh, wonderful. You're being mocked on a mitzvah, you know, beyond the letter of the law, above and beyond what's, uh, what's expected. So if I eat a snack in the sukkah, or if a woman eats in the sukkah, that's wonderful. It's praiseworthy. It's being mocked there. It's a great humrah. But yet we see here that whoever eats in the sukkah unnecessarily is foolishness. So this confused the Mepharshim. For example, if you look at number six in the Muggin of Ram right there, Kalapatar makes a Nikra Hedyot, um, or sorry, not right there, in, uh, he's in Helchos Pesach, anyone who is Pater from leaning, but means nonetheless is called a fool. The Yatzalot Dinzemi and Yerushalmi, Karakamit Shabbos, this comes from Yerushalmi, the first pair of Shabbos, also in the second pair of Brachot. Over Emet Kotava Ber Sheva, the Tzarek Lit Yashem with the you have to really think about this. Many places we find that we're machmir, we have plenty of things we find that everyone's machmir on something they're potter from. And we consider it wonderful and praiseworthy and terrific. And yet here it says whoever does something that's they're exempt from that's unnecessary or is machmir is a fool. How do you know when being machmir is foolish and when being machmir is avodah Hashem, is just being extra religious? And that is really the challenge. You know, why sometimes is Homer looked down on, while sometimes Homer is praised? Okay, anyone want to make a suggestion of why sometimes Homer could be looked down on? Like, what could be a bad Homer? Let's say in the case of the rain, there's a Yenar Tzara, that 
Okay, great. Or when you convenience others. And if you're public about it, then people will think that's the halacha. Aha, fascinating. It could be you know, peer pressure, as it were, right? After all, if I'm mafir, you're mafir, the next size mafir, then maybe everyone has to be mafir. Interesting question is that good or bad? Maybe it's wonderful for everyone to be mafir, or maybe we shouldn't pressure people to do things which the halacha does not prescribe. Okay, let's see what the Makor would say. There are many theories specifically about this one Shulchan Aruch, it's really your Ramah, the Shulchan Aruch, in Hilchot Sukkah, and in general about when a chumrah can become detrimental instead of uh, beneficial, when it can become destructive instead of constructive. One theory is, number seven, the Shari Tshuva on the Shulchan Aruch they are in. Uh, those people who want to eat in the sake, even though it rains a lot, um, there are still people nowadays who eat in the sake, even when it's pouring rain, and that's very luckily controversial because it's against the Shofan Aruch. Most of us do not do that. Uh, we try to follow the Shofan Aruch. But what does he say about them? For sure they're wrong. Whoever is potter, the is making a programmatic statement. Whoever is potter but is mafir anyway is a fool. Okay? Why? One theory is Okay? Because Tsar, okay, maybe Tsar is a good thing, right? What do they say? No pain, no gain. So maybe if you want to gain, you have that pain. That's true sometimes, but certainly not the way to celebrate Yomtov. On Yomtov, we need Simchat Yomtov. Not only that, in the Torah in general, we need Rachel Darach Noam, right? The ways to Torah, ways of pleasantness. Now, obviously, the devil's in the details there. Not, life is not always pleasant, and sometimes one is stuck. But in general, if someone turns Judaism into something which is not Darach Noam, so that's going against the halacha. Certainly, someone the Vatel Simchas Yomtov by sitting in the rain on Yomtov, that's going against the halacha, meaning sometimes I can be mafra on one halacha, but what I'm really doing is being makel on another halacha. When I decide to be mafra more than the halacha tells me on one mitzvah like sukkah, but then I'm makel and I do what the halacha forbids me to do in terms of being Vatel Simchas Yomtov, being miserable on Yomtov, or not doing Darche Noam. So it should be clear. I have no right to be mafra on halacha A and then be made on halacha B. If I want to keep the halachas, I keep the halachas. I can't be mafra on one thing and then violate another halacha. One has to be careful when being mafra that one is not violating another halacha. He adds there in the Shari Tshuva that specifically, rain specifically on Sukkot is particularly problematic because the Mishnah tells us that when it rains on Sukkot, the, the mashal to the servant who brought his master a cup of uh, a cup of wine to drink, um, and the master threw it back in his face. What that means is, get out of here and don't try to bring me another cup of wine. Um, if he doesn't get the hint, then that servant will get summarily fired. Um, so likewise, if Hashem makes a rain on Sukkot, perhaps that's a message that he doesn't want us in Sukkot there. We see in Sukkot anyway. That might be construed as chutzpah. That's a very specific and having to do with Sukkah, but the first explanation it gives is very general. One has to be careful with Kumrot, that one doesn't end up being Mekel on something more important, while one is trying to be Machmer on something which is optional um, and extra. 
The Megiri points out something as well. Number eight, he quotes from Drushos Amru. That's Rishami called the Potomac and Dover. He'll say in the head goat. But Dover's the angel of the Dover. He's trying to struggle with how do you know when a chumra is good, when it's bad. So he says, you know what? Sometimes when you're machmir, it doesn't accomplish anything halachically. Not every chumra, here you need to be a bit of a lambda. Not every chumra is actually fulfilling the halacha better. Sometimes. Chumras are just doing silly things for no reason. So he says, for example, if I do something which everyone is potter from, but he meant, but here is, if a woman sits in the sukkah, since men are chayev, that's obviously a good thing. But to sit in the sukkah in the rain, which all people are potter from, that obviously has no halachic value. The ain't a dover shi'ith of signal, and that's what makes me more intelligent, or musr, or more ethical, or silsil, or more refined, or not halev, or more humble, the kayotzvazeva, also meno atvo mitzvah. When you make something really important, that has no halachic or hashkafic importance. When you make something important, says the Me'iri, that doesn't make you a better person. And that it's not really a type of doing a mitzvah better, then you're just sort of making up your own religion instead of serving Hashem. And here's another case where one needs to be careful with Chumrot. How do I know, I know, I guess by understanding the halacha well, whether I'm doing the mitzvah better, whether I'm improving my mitot, or whether I'm just Picking something and making it into a mitzvah when it isn't really a mitzvah, which would then border on baltosik, on adding to the Torah. So says the Meiri, a chumra is only valid if it accomplishes something. You know, like eating a snack in the sukkah. That accomplishes something that's more sitting in the sukkah. Sitting in the sukkah in the rain accomplishes nothing, probably because when one sits in the sukkah in the rain, it is not considered yeshiva. It is not considered really dwelling in the sukkah, but merely being present in the sukkah, which is not a halacha. But I want to really focused, though, on the Yerushalmi. Because everything here came from the Yerushalmi, but very few of the Mepharshim actually quoted the Yerushalmi in full. They all say, Yerushalmi, Yerushalmi. The Yerushalmi says, Kalapater me'adavar v'yoseyam nikrahedyo. Whoever is exempt from something that does it anyway is called a fool. What was the context of the Yerushalmi? The Yerushalmi here is at number nine. I can't read the whole Yerushalmi because, in general, Gemara takes a long time to read. It's written, uh, the language is a little difficult, the Rishab is even more difficult. I definitely encourage you to take it home and uh, open up your art school, your Rishab, get some help uh, uh, plowing through it. But I'll just mention the key line here, what I underlined. Amr of Zeira, talking about someone being machmer, ubilchud lo choronin, as long as you are not, you don't denigrate, you don't insult others. Yeah, it's not clear if choronin means. Um, other important people or uh, others in general, but as long as you don't denigrate or insult others. And then he brings this case. Interesting case. There were a bunch of rabbis sitting in a certain second story chamber and eating lunch. It came time for Mincha. One of the rabbis, or Shulba Yitzchak, got up and Davin Mincha. Stop this meal and Davin Mincha. He says, but didn't we learn in the Mishnah that you're not allowed to start your meal when you have to Davin Mincha, because then you might forget later. But if you're in the middle of the meal, there is no obligation to interrupt for Mincha. It's a Mishnah right there in the first paragraph of Shabbos, which is also where this your uh, Shalmi appears. And second underlined part of nine, the Tani Chizkiah, Komi Shu Patavi Davin Yosir Nikrahedyo. Whoever is exempt, you're exempt from davening mincha yet. You don't have to daven until you finish your meal. You're exempt from interrupting your meal for mincha. You did it anyway, you're a fool. 
What was his foolishness here? What was so bad? What's so bad about the Mincha? What's so bad is that he insulted the others. I mean, if you think about it, you know, if a bunch of rabbinic colleagues are sitting there eating, and one of them interrupts his meal to daven, what's that saying about the others? It's saying, I'm firmer than you. It's saying, I care about daven to Hashem, and you guys care about pressing. Uh, you guys care about the smorgasbord. Now, that might not be what he meant to say, and the Gemara debates, it's not clear who wins the debate in the end. Maybe that's not what he meant. But clearly, the original context of Yerushalmi was putting down others by being machmir. Yeah, right? What? Okay. Okay, perhaps, perhaps a, a, being a simpleton, a meaning thinking something makes sense when it really doesn't. Interesting, Yerushalmi, when it denigrates certain chumras, like the original, the key to the mystery, the Bereshiva says we have to figure out what they meant. It was talking about when, yes, you are machmer, but you end up being makel in something else, but that makel in something else meant unlachaberu, when you are uh, putting, others, putting others down. And... Well, why are we worried about embarrassing other people? We have a Pesach that says, I'll give you something So why, why are we worried about some... Ah, okay, because, be, because that's what we have to know. When does that Pesach mean you shouldn't be a Tzadik Harbe? When should you be the biggest Tzadik you can? Okay, and this is a theme that comes through Al-Khazal, already going back to Makar 4, it says, if you want to eat a snack in the sukkah, don't worry, it's not your It is not considered to be arrogance. Khazal were very worried about arrogance, that if someone is more machir than others, they could be expressing arrogance instead of Avodah Hashem, or perhaps, even if they are expressing sincere Avodah Hashem, they could be understood, it could be taken by others as arrogance. In uh, Makar number 10, which is a sugya, in Psachim, talks about Menhagim. Makam Shinogu, the fourth paragraph of Psachim, talks about Menhagim. And talks there about different Menhagim, right? A place where, uh, where they, uh, there are certain places where they would do Malach on Tishabab, certain places they wouldn't do Malach on Tishabab. And there's a Machlok at Tanaim. We won't go through all the details. In a town where it's actually Halacha. The Shokhanar says, we go to work on Tishabab. Uh, in America, everyone goes to work on Tishbub unless it's Sunday. Um, in Israel, depending where you work. Um, but a Talmud Chacham should stay home all day and not work on Tishbub. So a Talmud Chacham can really sit all day and mourn for the base of Mikdash. So it's worth staying home. Someone else, they're going to end up watching TV. Um, they should go to work. It says, should someone who's not a Talmud Chacham act like a Talmud Chacham? Meaning, Talmud Chacham were more machmer. They stay home on Tishbub from work. How about if I'm not a Talmud Chacham? Should I act like one? And here we have a machloket between the Chacham or Shimingam Liel, which is parallel to another machloket between the Chacham or Shimingam Liel. In those days, I'm not going to involve the mice. And now, a chasan on the wedding night was potter from Kriyashma. What if someone wanted to say Kriyashma anyway? Wanted the extra from? Could he or could he not? Could someone, be, is, it, is it allowed? Is it much of the extra from? And we have a stira. Rabbi Shimingam Liel says that. You're not allowed to be extra firm and say Kriyashma, but you're allowed to be extra firm and stay home on tish, uh, Tishvab. And the Chachamim say, you're allowed to be extra firm and stay home on Tishvab, but not to, uh, but not to say Kriyashma if you're a Chassan. Okay, basically, if you look at the underlined words on the second side of the page, this is in the Metzeki Yorra. Basically, they both agree to the principle, they only argue about the application. One cannot do anything which is Metzeki Yorra, which seems like arrogance. That's a big comment. Not only can one not be arrogant, Hopefully, we should never be arrogant. 
One is not allowed to be mocker if it seems like arrogance. They just argue about what it looks like. One says, well, if you say Kriya Shema when everyone's saying Kriya Shema, it doesn't look arrogant because you're just doing what everyone's doing. But if you stay home from work on Tishma when everyone goes to work, except for the rabbi, then you look arrogant. And the other says, if you stay home from work on Tishma, that doesn't look arrogant because a lot of people don't work sometimes. People have days off. But if you say Kriya Shema when no one else does, then that looks arrogant. Okay, the devil's in the details here, but the principle is, Homer is inappropriate, even forbidden, if it looks arrogant, why? Because even if the person might be doing it sincerely, first of all, you're never sure how sincere everyone is. But even if you're doing it sincerely, if it looks arrogant, it's going to insult others, it's going to cause strife, it's going to make the Torah look bad. And therefore, because I'll say, keep the halacha. If it looks arrogant to keep the halacha, too bad. You know, if some Jews think that if we don't drive on Shabbos, that's arrogant. And some Jews think that if we don't mix meat and milk that's arrogant, then there's nothing we can do about it. That's the halacha. But when it comes to chumras, don't be the if it's going to look arrogant. And we have many, many mikorot within the realm ben on about how chumras have to be bounded and limited by our obligations to others. Uh, we're starting to run out of time, so I'll just uh, mention them out, outside. You can certainly take the mikorot home and be ma'ayin. Uh, number 11... Fascinating, uh, fascinating uh, question about fasting. Fasting's not as popular now as it once was. Once upon a time, there were people who were very firm who fasted a lot. Christians also in the Middle Ages and even later um, fasted a lot. So what does it say here? If you are in a besieged city or your ship is, uh, is, is, is lost in a storm at sea, you're not allowed to fast because you need your strength to defend the city. And Rebiosi adds... No individual is allowed to fast terribly much. No one's allowed to fast more than necessary. Why? Because it could damage your health. And so what? If it damages your health, you won't be able to, be able to go to work, and you'll have to ask for tzedakah from the tzibor. You can't be mocked if it's going to end up making you ask other people for money to support you. And this is even, you know, it might damage your health, and then you might not be able to work, and you might have to ask for tzedakah. Okay. Don't fast so much if you're going to end up asking other people for money. Be mocked with your own money, not with others. And we find this as well, I'll go a little out of order, number 13, back to the peer pressure discussion. Avravinu, right? Judaism doesn't get any more original than Avravinu. That's where it all started. What did Avravinu say? We all remember the story of Melech Sodom, right? After defeating the... Uh, four kings saving the five kings, which included Stone, Ba'amorah, etc. King of Stone says, give me the people and keep all of the spoils of war. Right? In those days, the rule was to the victor belong the spoils of the enemy, uh, in, in the literal sense. Um, okay, American history buffs remember Andrew Jackson used it, uh, used it metaphorically. Um, but to the victor belong the spoils of the enemy. So Abram deserved everything he conquered in this war. But he was mocked. I raise my hand up to the Almighty God, Creator of heavens and earth. What a speech. Not a string to a shoelace I will not take from you. I won't take this dirty money stone. I don't want to touch it. But he added something fascinating. Except for what my soldiers already ate. That I can't get back. And the share of my allies. He had three non-Jewish allies on their Eshtol and Namri, three Canaanite allies. They also deserve the share of the spoils. Avram said, I renounce all of it. I'm not for myself. I don't want any of this. But my three friends still get. Why do you have to add that? 
Well, think about it. If, imagine you're under Eschol or Mamre. Pick whichever name you like best. Avravina gives this whole speech. Of course I wouldn't take this money from stone. You know what stone is all about? I believe in God. I'm not taking this money from stone. Who's going to have the chutzpah to go up and say, but I want my share? No, it's peer pressure, right? Basically, if Avram's a machmer, he's going to force his friends to be machmer as well. And Avram said, that's not right. I'm machmer on myself. But he adds right away in the same sentence, but I'm not machmer on them. Of course they get their share. I'm only talking about myself. I'm not talking about them. Avram Bina was so careful to say, I'm not following the regular laws of war. I hold myself to a higher standard. I'm Avram Bina. I'm machmer on myself. But I'm not machmer on other people. And this is the sensitivity that... One can't be machmer in a way that puts pressure on other people to do things which are not right for them. Um, and one has to take pains to avoid that. Number 12, this is sort of, it's almost a classic joke, but it's a real gemara. It's a list of people who destroy the world. A chassid shote, a foolish, pious person. What's a chassid shote? A woman is drowning in the river, and the fellow says, no, no, I don't look at women, so I can't save her. Um, now again, it's, it, it's so uh, ridiculous as to be funny, um, but uh, you know, Chazal were trying to make a point, probably not bringing up something that came up every day, but the point is well taken. You know, if he wants to be very mafra and not look at women, wonderful, great, um, but at his, at his expense, not at someone else's expense. Uh, one can't be mafra at other people's expense, and I think then if we uh, can summarize the second part of this year, and then for the third part, I think we'll have to maybe summarize everything um, outside because we only have 11 minutes left, is that is a great thing, but it has to be implemented and used judiciously. Chumrah is great if it's a Chumrah that really adds to your religious personality, or a Chumrah that's really the Nakayim, a mitzvah that you have to be exempt from, but that's really a mitzvah. Chumrah is great if it doesn't cause you to violate any other halachos, and specifically, Chumrah is great if it doesn't cause you to violate the values of an Anuwa Chumrah Chumra is great when it doesn't put down or insult other people. Chumrah is great when it doesn't come at the expense of someone else's money, certainly not at the expense of someone else's life. Chumrah is great when you are sacrificing your own kavod or resources or enjoyment or pleasures, not when you're sacrificing other people's uh, resources or dignity or feelings. Let's just go to uh, the third part. In the end, there are always those who are more machmer and those who are more mekel. How do we make sure to respect the value of Qumrah? Those who are more machmer are right for being more machmer because Qumrah is a great methodology and mode of Avodah Hashem. Those are not machmer, right? For not being machmer, because that is not uh, what they have decided to make their project of Avodah Hashem right now. How do we make sure that Chumras don't end up causing strife between Jews and insulting people and pulling us apart in, and pushing us apart instead of pulling us together? So the Gemara discussed this also in the beginning of the fourth paragraph of Sachem, number 14, Makim Shanago, it's a fascinating sugya. We won't go through it inside now. But the Gemara says, the Mishnah contradicts itself. Makim Shanago, different people have different minhagim. Right? Basically, what if a whole community of people decides to be mafir? That becomes a minhag. 
A minhag, what's a minhag? A din is a din. A minhag is when this whole community is all machmer, they have this minhag. What if some people have a more machmer minhag, some people have a more, more makel minhag? What about haholichlimakom? I live someplace. In those days, the minhag were towns, right? There was not so much uh, mobil- geographical mobility. What if I am usually makel, but I go someplace where they're machmer? What should I do? I should be machmer. Why? To get along with them. I shouldn't rock the boat. I shouldn't insult them. If I go someplace where everyone's machmer and I'm not machmer, it can insult them. So I'm machmer to get along with them. After all, if they live here, I should respect, uh, I should respect their customs. What if I'm machmer and I go someplace where, where they are makel? Says the Gemara. Says the Gemara. I should do whatever. I should always keep the biggest chumrah. If I'm usually machmer, I should be machmer. If I, I'm Mekel and I go someplace with their Machmer, I should be Machmer also. And I should never deviate from local custom. Because that might cause Machloket. It might cause strife. Nora points out, it's a bit of a contradiction. If I'm Machmer and I go someplace with their Mekel and I don't deviate from local custom, then I'm not Machmer. But it said I should be Machmer. And the Nora decides in the end, the Rush summarizes nicely, and the Shulchanar summarizes nicely, that it depends on the circumstances. If I'm Machmer and I go someplace with their Mekel, and I can be machmer subtly. I can be machmer in a way that won't be noticeable, that won't insult anyone, that won't make, uh, won't cause any strife. Then I should be machmer. But if I'm machmer and I go someplace with their makel, and it would cause strife, it would cause machloket to be machmer, like I can't get away with it. Then I should be makel. Says the rush in Makar 15. We're not talking about Mr. Daraita. We're not violating the Torah. It doesn't mean that if I go to some place to reform Jews and they eat uh, bacon, then I should eat bacon. We're talking here about Homer's, about Menhagen. When it comes to Menhagen, the Rosh says, Godel HaSholom, peace between Jews is more important than keeping my Minhag, and therefore, the Shulchan Aruch, I'll just summarize 16 and 17, someone pass Akum, right? Sometimes it says Pas Yisrael on some of these Hamish HaTsherin, right? The mainstream halacha is that we eat bread baked by Gentiles. But some people are machmer, like, really, Pashashat in the Gemara, that I only pasta, only bread baked by Jews, not Goyish bread. What if I only eat pasta Israel? There are lots of people like that. And I go someplace where they eat pasta where they eat, uh, I, I, well, those are baked only bread baked by a business. No one's allowed to eat bread baked by like, your Goyish neighbor personally. Um, that, that, that's actually a problem. But what if I am Machmer and Pasachim and I go someplace where they eat it? What should I do? So if an says, I should eat with them. Why? So if I don't eat bread, then it's going to be noticeable. Right? In those days, bread was the main part of every meal. Even nowadays, let's say I go for a Shabbos meal and I don't eat the Hamotzi, it, people are going to talk. Why isn't he eating the Hamotzi? Oh, because our food's not kosher enough for him because he doesn't think we're real Jews because he thinks he's holier than now. Now, I'm just trying to be sincere. But you know what? I'm trying to be sincere, but it could cause my focus. There's always going to be one person in the shul, one person at the table, one person on the street, who's, I would like to say, everyone should be sophisticated, and if I'm more macro, they should say, okay, diversity, uh, pluralism, you know, he has different minhagen um, than we do, it doesn't bother us. But that's not how life works. Whenever I go someplace, there's a lot of people there, and, or even one person there, but they're the balabas, they're going to be insulted if I don't, if I'm too machmer, if I won't eat their food. That's human nature. It's a weakness, but it's human nature. So what should I do? Should I say, well, don't be insulted if you are tough luck? No, that's not what the Gemara says. So therefore, you know what? I'll compromise my comrades. I'll be machmer in my house, 
And when I go someplace else, I'll compromise my performance to avoid machloket. But he adds, that's if I'm machmer on the goyish bread. If I'm machmer on goyish butter, but they eat goyish butter, then I shouldn't eat the butter. Why? Because a lot of people don't put butter on their bread, and I can get away with it, and no one will say anything, and everyone will just say, okay, not everyone puts butter on their bread. Right? I eat bread very, very often without butter, and, um, and if someone says, would you like some butter, and I say no, they don't make a big deal of it. If I say no, I'm not going to wash and have the bread, they'll make a big deal. What's the point? The point is that not necessarily halachal amaisa to apply bread versus butter, but the idea behind it, if I go someplace and I am machmer in a way which would not possibly insult anyone, then great, I should keep my own comers, I should be true to myself. If I go someplace and I'm machmer, it's going to cause strife and it's going to, it's going to push Jews apart instead of pulling us together, then I should compromise my comers because Gadol HaShalom, because peace between Jews is more important than comers. And that is a two-way street. Says the Shulchan Aruch, number 18, someone who's very mocker about something, and they go someplace, and it's known they're mocker. Right? There's a big rabbi. And he is very, very mocker. He only drinks Chol of Yisrael, and everyone knows that. And he goes to your house. Can he drink the milk? Says the Shulchan Aruch, fascinatingly, yes. Why? Because obviously you bought him Chol of Yisrael. Obviously you bought him Chol of Yisrael, because why wouldn't everyone want to make their guests Feel comfortable. Where did he get that from? I go, Mordechai, first perk if you fumbles. We can skip the middle man and go to the first perk if you fumbles. Fascinating discussion of the first perk if you fumbles. Beishamai, Matir, and Atzar. Okay, it goes through a list of a dozen things where Beishamai and Beishillel had different halachic opinion. What was kosher for me is not kosher for you. What was tame for me was Torah for you. Those are most of our folks in those days. But also Yosin. You know, some was a mom's according to you, and was kosher according to you, and some was allowed to remarry according to you and not according to you, etc. And the Gemara explains that nonetheless, they ate each other food. And they borrowed each other's utensils, even in the days of Toma Batara, and they intermarried with each other's families. Gemara says, well, how did that work? Are they different halachic shitas. How did they get along so well? And just the end here, number 19, the modulu parshi. They would just tell them to stay away. Meaning, if I'm Beishamai and I have the Beishamai guy over, I'll just say, oh, eat this, don't eat this, this is good for your kashras, this is not. Right? And if I go to, your, to, to his house, he'll say, oh, you know, uh, sit on this chair, not that chair, because that's Torah according to you, this is not Torah according to you. If I want to make a shit up, they'll say, um, even though the cases they argue very rare about these weird Saras Erba cases, um, they'll say, okay, why don't you make this shit up, don't worry, that, that, that's good according to your standards of your Beishamai halacha or Beishillo halacha, meaning, they proactively took into account the other person's minhagim and shitos in order to make them comfortable. What do we see here? We see here that, I mean, just, well, my gosh, Lundemar says, well, then it's very obvious. If I invite you to my house and I only serve you things which I know you would eat, obviously you can eat. What's the chiddish? Kamash lund ha'afavareyas nogin zebazet. The kamash lund, the chiddish is, ha'afavareyas nogin zebazet. They practice love and friendship with one another that they love Jews so much that they would do anything to get along with other Jews. And I think we really see here in the Hashkaf of Chazal, and this is a very, very basic point, the most important thing for Chazal was not to be more machmer or to be more mekel. The most important thing for Chazal was to quote the Lush of the Rosh, Godel HaShalom, or to quote the Gemar Nivamot, Ava Vereyot, Nogin Zebazet, that Jews should have love and friendship for one another. That Godel HaShalom, we should recognize that peace between Jews is more important than all of our petty disputes. Not to denigrate our disputes. Every minhag has 
unfathomable wisdom behind it. Every halachic shita has wisdom behind it. Every chumar, every kula has very, very good justification. But it's more important that we get along. And this is such an important point halachically, you know, if I go someplace and everyone's machmer there, I go someplace, everyone's machmer, and I'm also machmer with them. It's not because I'm inferior and, I, I'm, and my practice is any worse than theirs. It's because God will show them so I want to get along with other Jews. And if I go someplace where everyone's naked, then I'll do If I'm after, I'll do it very quietly. Or if I can't do it very quietly, I'll compromise my standards. Because more important than who's right and who's wrong is do we love each other? Do we have avare? Do we get along with every Jew? And if I know someone has a sincere halakhic practice or opinion, but I'll accommodate their opinion. Not because they're better than me, not because my practice is not as good as theirs. I'll accommodate their opinion because I'd rather love every Jew than be wrong or right about exactly which hexer I should have on my uh, ice cream or you know, exactly how I should build uh, my sukkah. And I think just to summarize what we've seen, we've seen that there are very legitimate, good and deep and holy reasons for those who are machmir. One has to be very, very careful that Homer not turn into a cool and especially that not turn into arrogance or even be understood as arrogance or lead to coolism in Unlafadero. And that while we're all going to have our own ways of Avodah Hashem, what's important is not who's wrong and who's right. And the reason why I should respect someone else is not because they're more religious than me or more correct than me or more beloved in Hashem's eyes than I am but because we're all fellow Jews, and if we're all fellow Jews, then I accommodate other people's sincerely held opinions, and when I go places where my opinion diverges from what would be acceptable there, I try to fit, I try to blend in, I try to uh, respect their sincere halakhic practice, because if we all just respect the sincerity and validity of each other's practices just a little more often, and remember, Gadol HaShalom and Ava Vareya Noagin Zebazeh, then Hashem would say, Echad Amarba Echad Amamit, Ulvaji Chavanis Legal Hashem Shemayim, whether we do more here or more there or less here or less there, as long as our Kavan in our hearts is Lashem Shemayim, and Lashem loving our fellow Jew and bringing Shalom within Kal Yisrael, then whatever we do would be acceptable and pleasing in Hashem's eyes. And Be'ezrat Hashem, we should all be Zocha to find the right balance of Chumrah and Kul in our lives, and most importantly, to add only more and more Shalom and Ava Vareyas between Jews. Thank you very much, everyone.